Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hi, my name is Kathy Gabrielson, and I am a healer, a speaker, and a number one best-selling author. And I survived death two times. The first time I died, I was just 18 years old and it was a fall night in November and I was with my boyfriend, you know, it was that time, your senior year in high school before you go to college and we were just leaving a party that we weren't drinking, there was no drinking or drugs or anything involved, but it was just a really beautiful night, I remember, and it was chilly out and it was fall and there was a lot of leaves on the ground and we were on a windy road in a farm kind of area. And he was driving an Eddie Bauer Bronco. And we were coming down this windy road. We had just gotten in the car and my boyfriend saw like a police officer or something like that. And he thought, even though he wasn't doing anything, he kind of panicked and he started to go a little faster, afraid that the police officer might, you know, circle around and look for him like he was coming from this party. And he started to speed up. And I remember I got really scared because he was driving really fast and the road was really windy. And I remember I heard really loud in my head a voice that screamed, put your seatbelt on. And I remember I put my seatbelt on and I screamed at my boyfriend, put your seatbelt on. And just as I screamed that, I just remember the car getting really like rocky and shaky and the ground changed. I just knew all of a sudden I was a little bit confused. All of a sudden, just it just smashed. And just like all of a sudden, everything stopped and it just hurt. And when I kind of opened my eyes, the only thing I could see was just dirt and mud and sticks and just like wet leaves. And the wet leaves were like in the car and the mud was in the car. And I remember looking at my boyfriend and he was just kind of moaning and I was just screaming and there was glass everywhere. We had gone off the road and down into a ravine. And I think he was trying to off-road or something or but we ended up going down into a really deep ditch and we were far enough into the ditch that no one really knew we were there. I was going in and out of consciousness in the car and I was just terrified because I didn't know what was happening. And my boyfriend was kind of slumped over the steering wheel, really just moaning. And 
I remember thinking that no one's ever going to know where we are because we're just in the middle of this whole hole in the ground. I don't remember very much from the car. The only thing I really remember is I really regret not talking to my boyfriend more because that would be the last time that he would use his voice. I regret not asking him if he was okay. And then I remember that I saw a man, a young person appear at my window and say that they were going to get help. And between the time that that person left the car, my boyfriend stopped talking and he was dying next to me in the car. And I just remember being nowhere and then just seeing the light and seeing a group of people talking. I didn't know where I was. And it was like they were discussing something, discussing about about me. I remember it was about me. And that was the first time I died and I was on the other side. And there was this conversation about me having to go back and that I needed to go back. And one of the reasons I needed to go back was that I was supposed to heal. And I came back from the other side thinking that I was going to heal or help heal my traumatically brain-injured boyfriend, who after that night went on just with the ability to blink his eyes uh, for almost 20 years. He died nine times that night. And I'm sure if he could speak, he would have told us about his near-death experience. So I came back and I felt like I had this super sensitive hands. And I knew that I, when I was in the room with him, that I was supposed to be helping him and healing him. But also like a lot of other NDEers and people that have near-death experiences, you kind of, you're not the same person. I became really spiritual. I went to church every day. I just really felt connected to spirit. And I was really scared. I was really scared to tell anybody what happened to me and the experiences that I had, knowing that I was told in those moments that I had to come back, that I had to come back and do work. And it wasn't my time. And I was just too afraid to tell anybody because I was just this young 18-year-old girl and who would believe me? I grew up in a Catholic school and we weren't worthy. You know, We're not worthy to be that special, to have experienced the light to have had conversations with God and higher spiritual beings. And I was just afraid that people would think I was really cocky, full of myself, or crazy. And so I just would rather not tell anybody. I was too afraid what they would think of me. And I just kind of kept it to myself for years. And then when my boyfriend died after his head trauma and traumatic injury, I went to a, I got really depressed and because I really thought that I was supposed to heal him and then it didn't happen. And then I thought maybe my near-death experience didn't happen. Maybe none of that happened. And I just kind of put it away for a really long time and just thought, you know, I'm not really called to do that healing work that they said. And then I developed breast cancer, which is no surprise because I had such hurt in my heart, unexpressed and unresolved emotions, you know, shame and a survivor's guilt really ate up at my heart. And I ended up developing breast cancer when I was just 32. That was a difficult challenge. I had young kids and I really turned off. I went through a kind of a dark night. I didn't want to believe that my experience in the light and the power of God and all that existed because my friend died and I wasn't able to help him in the way that I thought, or I was told when I was on the other side that that would happen. 
So I really just kind of shut off my light and I went into a really dark night for a long time while I battled breast cancer. I never prayed for myself during it. I prayed for my kids and my husband, but I never prayed for myself. I just didn't feel worthy. And soon after my breast cancer experience, I had lots of complications, surgical complications, and I had about 14 surgeries. And uh, about seven years after my breast cancer diagnosis, I had a small surgery to help with some breast cancer issues I was having in my recovery. And it was supposed to be like a minor procedure. So I had this minor procedure, you know, I've got a three-year-old, I've got little kids, a three and five year, no, they weren't three and five. They were three when I would had cancer. We were on our way to Florida. So I have this minor surgery that's uh, helping me with some complications to my original breast cancer surgery. And I just want to pack up and go away on vacation with my family. I was just so tired of having another surgery and had my surgery. And then I raced off to go to the beach with my family. When I got to the hotel, I didn't feel well, just kind of ignored the feeling and just kind of like young moms do just move through it. And I woke up the day after we arrived really early, wanted to go for a run. And I went down to save some pool chairs. You know how people do that. When you get to the hotel, you got to have your perfect chairs by the pool and the beach. And I was a mom that went down there and made sure it was all set up for my kids and my husband. I never got off the chair. My husband and my kids came down a few hours later. I'd never returned back to the room and wondering what the heck was wrong with me. So I stumbled back to my room. I started to get really violently sick. I called my doctors. My doctor was on call and I got some other guy who really didn't care about what was going on with me. And I was sitting in my own urine in the bathroom. And I really thought that there was, this was, this was really scary. There's something really wrong with me. I'm not well. I barely remember leaving the hotel on my way to the, um, to get urgent care, but I went to the hospital and it turns out that I was, had sepsis. I had some sort of an infection um, from that surgery and it got into my blood and I was really sick. And I had an emergency surgery to remove my right breast again. And I'll never forget that. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to the beach with my family to have fun. And the day after I arrive, I end up in a hospital and the doctors are telling me that either I'm going to be on life support or I have to have them re-remove my breast. I had had a mastectomy just seven years prior. I was just devastated. And I said, oh, just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. You know, let me just give me a minute to say goodbye. I just couldn't believe that was happening again. I just, just was in shock physically and mentally just in shock. I remember I went into the surgery. When I came out, I couldn't really breathe. I had a really hard time breathing and I and talking. And I remember I kept telling everybody I had a hard time breathing and talking. And everyone just said, you know, that's it. Don't worry about it. But what I also didn't tell anybody was that I smelled the booze on the surgeon's breath. It was late at night when I arrived that night and I never told anybody. You know, I was always that good girl that never kind of spoke up. Remember, I was laying in the hospital bed and I kept telling everybody I couldn't breathe. And they kind of dismissed me and said, that's really normal. That happens after surgery. And I thought, okay, and I've had about 14, but it's never been that bad. And I couldn't really breathe. And 
after a couple of days in the hospital recovering from this horrible infection, the sepsis, I uh, remember seeing myself kind of floating above the bed. And my mom came to visit. She came in to flew in to help. And I remember she came in the room and I said to her, I said, mom, I just want to let you know I'm dying. And she said, no, 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 you're not. And I said, oh, no, yeah, yeah, yes, I am. But I never told her that I had done that before. I never told anybody that I had been on the other side. And I said, no, no, I know this is this is what's happening. And it was as if I was laying in bed and I could just, I could see it. I could see the entrance. I could just see it, like kind of like calling at me to go in. And I would just hover over the bed and look and look at myself and watch myself in the bed and be above it, but also kind of looking at the entry and to go to the other side. And I still couldn't breathe. I was still having a really hard time breathing. And what I didn't know at the time um, was that the surgeon had had um, cut some blood vessels or whatever, and I was actually bleeding internally. And then not being able to bleed. It was because my lungs were filling up with blood. So I had had been in the state of kind of hovering over my bed and looking at myself. And the interesting thing is, is that when I, when I was sick with cancer, I wasn't dying of cancer. I was sick with cancer, but you know, you think about like leaving your family and what my kids do, what my husband do. And in that moment, in those moments when I was so sick and I was on the other side in that peaceful hovering space, like the out-of-body experience. I was having out-of-body experiences at the time. That was so peaceful. And I remember when I look back thinking, I was at peace. And it gave me such insight to other people that were passing over that in that moment, when I could start to feel the light, I could feel the peace. So like we see their physical bodies suffering but when I look back on that experience, I realized that I looked like I was suffering, but that I was actually in peace. But my soul part, the soul part of me, the subtle part of me was really already experiencing that peace, like kind of like tempted by it, like that feeling of love and peace that was there. I wasn't getting better. The infection wasn't getting better. I didn't trust the hospital. I didn't trust the doctors. My family was leaving to go home and I just wanted to go home. And I demanded that my husband pick me up and make me leave and take me out of the hospital. And against all the doctor's orders, he did that because he's a good husband. (laughs) He was not going to say no to me in those moments. And I went back to the hotel and I knew when I got there that it was a really bad idea that I left. And I climbed in bed. I just wanted to go home. I wanted to go to a hospital. I wanted to go to my other doctors. They couldn't figure out what was going on. They couldn't get the infection under control. I climbed in bed with my kids. They were really young at the time. I think that my one son was, I want to say he was nine. I think they were nine and 12 then, eight and 10. Yeah, eight and 10. Yeah, my boys were still really young at the time. And I just wanted to get in bed with them. I had missed the whole vacation with them and went right back into pretending everything was okay. I was weak. I was tired. I was sick, but I just wanted to be with my kids and my husband. And I just wanted to go home and I climbed in bed with them and they were so happy to see me. And my husband had packed everything up and we were going to leave the next day. And I was going to go right to, I live outside Philadelphia and we were going to go to a really good hospital. We had everything set up to go. 
And I laid in bed. And as I laid in bed with them, I knew I wasn't breathing well anymore. And I looked at them and I all of a sudden got really scared. I knew I think that I think I am dying. And I, I was terrified to die in between them in bed. And I remember sitting up and trying to breathe. At that time, again, I had no idea that I was bleeding internally and it was the lungs that were filling up. And every time I would move into different spaces, I would just create more space to breathe. Remember, I was praying. I was just praying to God just to fill my lungs up with light and air. And I kept saying, fill me with light, fill me with light, fill me with light. And the next thing I knew, I was in it. I was just in it, in the light. And I knew that's where I was because I had been there before. But this time was a totally different experience. I don't know if I don't remember so much of the first experience because I blocked it out for so long. I didn't want to know it then. I was too afraid what people would say. I was too afraid that I was crazy or people would think I was crazy. And so this time when I went into the light, I was so happy to be there. I was so happy. It feels as if or felt as if for me when I crossed into that other side, that it was like this huge welcoming home party. And there was a line of people that I was going through. And what I realized is that there really is degrees of of glory, degrees of vibration on the other side. And that when we leave here, we leave with our subtle body. We leave with our spirit. And our spirit, as good as it is here on earth, is as good as it's going to be when it gets to the other side. And I was moving at these levels and along the way, just greeting people and saying hi to people. And we were going higher and higher. I remember in awe. And I remember seeing just deceased people, people that I knew and people that I didn't know, but everybody kind of knew me. I remember seeing angels and then I remember hearing just the most peaceful music and I was so happy. And here I am thinking, you know, not thinking in this moment, but in reflecting on the experience, shouldn't I have been sad? Like thinking like my poor kids and my husband and no, I was just at peace. And somehow I just knew that they were going to be okay, that everybody would be okay, that everybody would be okay with me being there. And I was in the light and I remember it just was this feeling of brightness and light and white and peace and like there were flowers everywhere, but I don't recall seeing flowers everywhere, but it just felt like that. It felt like soft and it felt so gentle and it felt so alive. And I remember seeing the angels and then I remember hearing the most beautiful music and just knowing that I was there. And at the same time, I could still feel myself moving and going up. And then I remember seeing the divine feminine, the version that I know her to be Mary. I know in near-death experiences, other people see the divine in their own versions. Maybe they might see Kuan Yin, or maybe they might see Buddha or whoever their source is. And so I saw my source. I saw Jesus walking towards me. And he knew me and I knew him. And I expected him to just open me up and say, Kathy, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the party. You know, I was like, I'm here. I'm here. I did it. I did it. And then 
all of a sudden there was that, that whole reflection of like, I did it. I did everything, you know, you wanted me to do. You know, I was of service. I took care of my brain injured boyfriend for years, every day. I sacrificed where I went to school. I had cancer. I took care of my family. I supported the cancer community and helped families with cancer for 10 years. I worked in, helped elderly nuns. I was of service my whole entire life. And I'm thinking to myself and in this experience, knowing like I did it, I did everything you wanted me to do. And I just remember seeing him shaking his head and I was crying in that moment because I was in it. I was in the arms of the master healer and the source of love that I know and surrounded by all the angels that I had been told about all my life. And I thought I had arrived. I thought that I accomplished what it was that I was supposed to accomplish in this lifetime. and. He said, my daughter, Kathleen, I'm so sorry, but it's not your time. You have too much work to do. I don't want to believe that I agreed with him, but I knew I did. I knew I had more work. And I stayed there and I remember tears and crying in his arms even though I was in this space of just pure love and light that's almost indescribable. And I knew I had to come back. And I knew that I would be welcomed back again when I finished the work that I needed to do that clearly I hadn't done when I got there because I had to come back for more. And so I came back. I came back. And part of me was relieved because I was alive and the other part of me was devastated because I wasn't and I was terrified about not getting into the light again because I had died the first time and had to come back and I died the second time and saw how amazing it is and the power of what we can do when we're on the other side. And the power of that light and love. And that the reality is that we don't ever die. There's not even that veil. There's really nothing. It's just there for all of us. It's just our vibration that can get us to there. But when I came home, I was happy to see my kids. I ended up going to a hospital. They found out I was bleeding internally, did all the repairs, gave me some antibiotics. I was under doctor's care for a while. And then I hit full-blown depression, anxiety, and PTSD, like a lot of near-death experiencers experience for me because I got turned away at the light and I just felt really depressed and had to figure out what the heck I had to do in my lifetime to get me there. And so I did. I uh, hit the ground. I fell apart. I was uh, had thoughts of suicide. I wanted to get back in the light so badly, but also just wasn't sure how I was going to do it. And I learned how to practice energy medicine and heal chakras and get in touch with myself. And in, in learning how to heal, I knew my first near-death experience that I told, was told I had to heal. So I decided I better learn how to heal. And for some reason, by the grace of God or my guides or 
Mary or whoever it was directed me to the practice of energy medicine and a teacher that I studied under. And I was able to really heal myself and get off all the medication that I was on. So over-medicated. And what I realized that I had to do all these years that my source wanted me to do was to really to, to get to do me, to know me, to learn about myself, to be in touch with the soul part of myself, to stay in alignment with myself so that I could really help other people. And so I learned how to heal myself. And now I use that source of light that I found on the other side and know it's accessible to me at all times and accessible to you and everybody else at all times. I go into the light, I tap into it and bring it to help heal the people that come my way now. So I am going to get in the next time. The third time will be a charm for me. And I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because like you said, I have too much work to do, but I'm going to do the work and I know it's there and I don't have to die to experience it. That's probably one of the greatest gifts that I have from the near-death experience that we don't have to die to receive the light. We have to be open to receive the light. And how are we open? We just get rid of all of our muck, all of our negativity, all of our junk. We get rid of the attachments to things that are blocking us, that are blocking our light. And that straightaway connection that we have to our source, that's what we do. And it's possible. And once you get there, it's pretty amazing. That was pretty powerful. And the other really important thing that I think I learned is the power of that pause, that peaceful place that you get before your soul crosses. There's a place of peace and a place of power. And I think maybe that's meant for us to realize that it's okay to go when it's our time, that everybody really will be okay because in truth they will. Yeah. So that's my story. <laughs>